Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Good morning. How are y'all? Feeling really good? Or just a little bit good? Awesome. Uh, I just, first off, let me just say this. I, I just want to thank you from, really, from the bottom of my heart for your faithful giving. Um, because giving to this church, I hope what you understand, that it does more than just takes care of the few people that come through the doors here. But we really do want to make a difference in our community. And so 25 days of Christmas, I was thinking this morning as Matthew was, was uh, setting the offering up and telling all the different things that were given to him, I think, wow, that can kind of overwhelm somebody. But none of those things are about us. It's about what we can do to make a difference in, to, in the community that we live. The 25 days of Christmas, sometimes people ask me, say, well, how, but how do you know? How, how, do you, how do you know when you're buying that one person's groceries or buying that meal? Or how do you know if, if they really have a need? I don't. The wonderful thing is I don't have to. But what I do have to do is just, as sincerely as I know how to do, lead a group of people that go with me and say, let's just pray about this. Because we don't know the people that walk through Walmart. We don't know what their needs are or wherever that place might be but that we can make a difference in their lives and to let them know that they matter, that, that they really do matter, and that there is a God that is crazy about them. And as, as small as you may think it is, it's, it's huge in the eyes of those people. You have no earthly idea. Every single week we see people's eyes filled with tears as they can't believe that there would be somebody that would actually give to them rather than take from them. And so thank you. I just want to thank you for your faithful giving I know sometimes it may seem that we ask a lot, uh, but I appreciate your faithfulness. And uh, from, from the bottom of my heart, it allows us to do what I think that God's called us to do. We, we want to be known as a given church, not a taken church. We want to be known as givers. And so thank you for allowing us to do that. Um, we live in a very uncertain world right now, don't we? It's crazy. In fact, it's, it's a world of unpredictability. And in that world of unpredictability, I hope that one of the things that we can let you know that's going to be constant and faithful is our meeting here every single week. And Christmas Eve, um, we're going to do two services. Yes, we're going to do two services at 1 and 3. We have these as you leave, these, cool, these really cool little, um, it's like a booty though, doesn't it? I want to say booty. Can you, you can't even say that in church on Sunday morning. Some of y'all laughing, it's an awkward laugh. Uh, but these are really cool, and on the inside of these, we hope that what you'll do is take these and give these away. There are also invite cards on the inside. Take some more invite cards. Invite as many people as you possibly can. Uh, if you were to ask me, who should I ask? Well, you have family and friends, absolutely, and you have other friends that are going to other churches. And let me just say from the bottom of my heart, we're so thankful for other churches, and I'm glad that maybe some of your family, your friends, they go to other churches, and can I just say, those are really not the ones that I'm crazy that you invite. 
I really, really do just hope and pray that what you'll do is, is to reach out to those people who don't go to a church anywhere. And there's churches, I hope that churches will continue to do what they do at Christmas and they'll have cantatas and all those different kinds of things and they'll do that at Christmas. And Christmas Eve, there'll be Christmas Eve services. But it would really mean a great deal to me if you really just thought it through and prayed it through. Maybe it's that person that you see at, at the grocery store or, or, or maybe it's the person that you, for me, um, there's actually a group of people that I've met at the gym and built a relationship with over a period of time that I have the opportunity to be able to say, okay, now I've been inviting you, but Christmas Eve is the time. Does that make sense? Hello, y'all with me? So, so will you just really more than, just reserve those tickets. And again, I, if you want to invite family and friends, I'm glad that you do that. Please don't misunderstand me. But I really, really, really want you to think through those folks who don't go to church anywhere. Because I know what we're going to do Christmas Eve. We're going to present the gospel in a very unique way. In a way that I hope for the first time Christmas will mean something different to them. They'll go, oh, that's, so that's what that means. Does that make sense? Cool. All right. Well, in case uh, you weren't here last week, we uh, kicked off our Christmas series called The Gift. And if you don't know the story, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. I mean, like you would really have to be way out there to never heard that story. Even if you're unchurched, you pretty much hear the same story, right? Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the reign of King Herod. And some wise men traveled a really great distance to come and worship Jesus. Now, if you were here last week, I kind of messed up your whole nativity scene thing, right? I kind of messed that up by saying that there were probably more than three wise men. We get three wise men because there were three gifts, but we don't really know. The Bible doesn't say specifically that there were just three wise men. In fact, if you'll just go home and really just Google it, study it, there are scholars that believe that maybe there was a dozen, some that will believe that maybe there were even dozens of wise men, not just three and if that weren't bad enough, like you went, oh man, so it's going to get really, really crowded at the, at the nativity scene. I really messed you up and I said, well, but here's the thing. The wise men weren't even a part of the nativity scene. And some people last week went, it can't be. Actually, it can be. And that's really the truth, is it? So is, have we been believing heresy all these years? No, people were trying to bring the story and make it very concise, Right? But the wise men probably didn't arrive to see Jesus until maybe he was 18 months. Some believe he was maybe even two years old. What we do know for sure is that these wise men, however many there may have been, were highly educated, incredibly wealthy, and extremely humble. That in spite of all of their education, in spite of all of their money, all of their possessions, in spite of everything that they had, they knew that there had to be something more. And so they humbly came to Jesus. They were on a desperate search. We don't even know how long the search was. We don't know if that was a day. We don't know if, that was, if it was a great distance. Maybe perhaps it was weeks, months. Maybe it was even a couple of years. But they were looking for the Savior of the world to be born. And they came bearing three gifts. Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, when they saw the star, which was God's GPS, they were overwhelmed, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, remember, see, it says coming to the house, not the stable. 
on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So I was thinking as I was preparing for these messages, I don't remember when Karen gave birth to Emily and Katie. We, we didn't get no gifts like gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What I remember us getting, now you got to remember, I mean, we were so broke we couldn't rub two nickels together. I was in school and she was pregnant and uh, I, in fact, I was in seminary and so we didn't have any money at all. And so when, these, when this beautiful little baby, Emily, was born, I remember very distinctly that what people brought us were very practical gifts. In fact, the one gift that I remember were, were, was diapers. I mean, we had, like, we were overwhelmed with diapers. I remember thinking, we're going to have to have a spare bedroom just to be able to store all of these diapers. I guess diapers and toilet paper, they really are essential. <laughs> so what's with these... Uh, Gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What are with those gifts? Well, these gifts were not only valuable, and they were all extremely valuable. And they were also incredibly practical. And they were deeply spiritual. In fact, Bible scholars all agree that these gifts really just foreshadowed some of the images that Jesus would represent. Last week, we talked about gold. Gold was really easy. I set you up in the beginning to say that gold really was known as a, as, a, as a gift only fit for a king, right? And so that was easy. So we looked at the kingship of Jesus. Today we're going to look at this odd thing called frankincense. Now actually frankincense is probably a little bit more popular today than it has been in years past. But before I tell you about the spiritual significance of frankincense, let me just tell you a little bit about the oil. According to my essential oil advisor, which is my daughter Emily, who asked her essential oil advisor, a lady named Joy, so I'm getting this like second and third hand, but it's really reliable information. Frankincense and myrrh are both boast of proven antiseptic and inflammatory properties and were once considered effective remedies for everything from a toothache to leprosy. In other words, if you're from Greer, it's an oil kind of like a Swiss Army knife. Did y'all get that? It's got a lot of different purposes on the spiritual side. Frankincense, and, and again, this is, this is one of those messages that is kind of like, you know, very, very simple, and yet at the same time, there could be information that maybe you've never heard before, even if you've been in church your whole life. So frankincense was the oil that priests would use during the time of, of the sacrifice. And they would burn this incense to make the smoke that would rise to heaven, symbolizing the prayers of the people rising in faith to God. And so that's why Bible scholars believe that this gift of frankincense really just represents Jesus as our great high priest. Now, again, if you've been in church your whole life, you've probably heard that terminology, right? Jesus is our great high priest. But do you really know what that means? If you're brand new to church, you're going like, what does that mean? Well, the priest in Scripture really served one primary role that was broken down into two different functions. 
First, the priest made sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. And so the priest would take an innocent animal in which, a, according to Exodus 12 and other passages, even in Leviticus, could have been a goat or it could have been a sheep. And they would offer this as a sacrifice for the atonement of the people's sins. And then secondly, the priest prayed prayers on behalf of the people. So this morning, I want to focus on the sacrifice that was given. So like I said, this is kind of like Jesus 101 stuff. But something that maybe you've never really heard of, or maybe you've never really thought of before. So let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What do you say? So in the Garden of Eden, we all know, right, even if you're unchurched, you're pretty familiar with the whole story of Adam and Eve and how they sinned against God. And when they sinned against God, two things became crystal clear from the book of Genesis. And that is this. Are you ready? This is deep. This is deep. Two things became crystal clear. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. Hello. Y'all out there? Are you in ooh and awe? The sinfulness of man is something I think that it's pretty easy to get, right? I mean, I don't think uh, I've ever struggled with understanding that I am a sinner. I've never really struggled with that concept at all. In fact, I've always understood how my sin, how it's hurt me and how it has hurt the people that I love. My sin. In fact, I think that I was aware of my sin from a small child and I've always been overwhelmed with my sin. I've tried to do better I've tried to, to be better, I've tried to do better, but no matter how hard I've tried, I've never been able to quite get my act together. I think most of the people that enter the doors of this church probably understand the whole idea that you're a sinner, right? So we're sinners, but, but God is holy. God is holy. Now that's like a big old church word, holy. But what does it mean? What does it really mean when we say that God is holy? Well, the word holy comes from a Greek word, agios or agios, which means separate or other. So, God is separate. And by separate, I mean that God is perfect in every way, in every way possible. He is flawless. He is pure. There is no fault. There is no wrong in him. And this because I wanted to be prepared, I wanted to dig into some commentaries. And just so you know, the, the commentaries <clears throat> basically say that God is holy means that he is transcendently other. He is transcendently other. And so that's kind of a fancy way, a theological way of just really being able to say that he is beyond our comprehension. Everything about God is beyond our comprehension. His power is beyond our comprehension. And if you go to the book of Genesis and you just think that God spoke the world into existence, that is pretty much, wow, right? When you look at the world and you see the beauty of the world that we live in and you understand that God created every bit of that, his power is transcendently other. It's beyond anything that we could possibly comprehend. And that is like really, really good. And then yet sometimes as we think about that, some of us can get kind of angry, right? Because some of you probably walked in the door this morning and you're kind of angry because you believe that God is all powerful, but he hasn't been all powerful in your life, has he? 
His mercy is beyond our comprehension. His, his grace is beyond our comprehension. And that applies when it comes to us personally, right? I've struggled my whole life with the fact that I'm a sinner. And it's taken me a long time to get my theology right, to understand what Jesus did on the cross, that all of my sins were paid for. I've struggled with my own sinfulness. And to think that God's grace and his mercy would extend to a sinner like me really is beyond my comprehension. But you know what? If I were to be able to tell you this morning that Jeffrey Dahmer or some other mass murderer Right before they died, and someone who's committed the most hideous of all sins, if I were to tell you that they prayed the sinner's prayer, humbly, genuinely asked God for his forgiveness, and that those people were forgiven on the spot and went to heaven, we'd say, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. So you mean to, you mean to tell me like Hitler? So you, are you telling me that God's grace and his mercy is so great that it is so beyond our comprehension that if Hitler on his deathbed literally and sincerely asked God for his forgiveness, he would be forgiven for all those deaths? Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that God is holy that he is transcendently other. He is beyond our comprehension. And that's God in his entirety. It's his power, it's his mercy, it's his grace. It's who he is. It's beyond anything that we could possibly comprehend. And our challenge is that we're not. Romans 3.23. You know what? I think I knew Romans 3.23 before I knew John 3.16. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So just in case you were wondering, none of us are holy. That's like none of us. Now you may be sitting beside your wife and you think, man, she's pretty awesome. But she's not holy. We've all fallen short of God's standards because we sin. And get this. This may be the most important part. Sin breaks our intimacy with God. And you probably already knew that, right? And so when you're very much aware of sin in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus and you know right now, hey, I'm not picking on anybody, but you know right now there's some unconfessed sin in your life. There's this thing that you're, you're participating in maybe on a, a daily basis. <clears throat> then what that does is that you know, you feel the separation, don't you? And how much sin does it take to break our intimacy with God? Anybody? Just one. And, and in my notes, literally, when I first wrote this message, I put one itty-bitty, teeny-weeny sin. But that's the way that we think, right? We think about a little white lie. And I, I didn't lie. I, I mean, it was a good lie. <laughs> you know, have you ever said that? Have you ever told anybody that? Well, I know I lied, but it was a good lie. So I lied to you because I didn't want to hurt your feelings, okay? So, like, I think God approves of that lie. I mean, I know it's a lie. But I still get into heaven with that one. Actually, no. All sin. Even for us, as we think about itty-bitty sins, it separates us from God. And one of the reasons 
why God hates sin is it disrupts our intimacy with him and it destroys us. So the high priest in the Old Testament, one time a year would make a sacrifice as a temporary, say that with me, temporary. It's a temporary payment for the sins of the people. It was, a, it was a day known as the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, and the priest would sacrifice an innocent animal. Sounds kind, of, sounds kind of mean. And he would go into the tabernacle behind the veil into a place known as the Holy of Holies, and then he would, he would light the frankincense, and the incense would let this smoke rise to heaven, and it would represent the people's cry for mercy. Did you, did you know that? Were you aware of that? And then the priest would take the blood of this innocent animal and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat and that would symbolize the death of an innocent one in the place of the guilty ones. It would be the payment for our sins. How many of you ever heard of a scapegoat before? How many of you ever been the scapegoat? Raise your hand. Now, if you've never been a scapegoat, let me just say, if you have, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? In other words, you took the blame. You took the fall for what somebody else did. Maybe you took the fall. You took the blame for what a whole other group of people did. Most of us, at least if you've lived long enough and been on planet Earth, you've been the scapegoat, at least at some point in time in your life. Well, this is where actually where the term came from. So there would actually be two, goat, two goats. And so the priest would take another goat and he would confess the sins of the people, symbolically transferring the sins of the people onto this goat. And then, then the priest would, would lead this goat out into the wilderness and he would lead him to some jagged rocks or he would lead this goat maybe to the edge of a cliff because he wanted to make sure that that goat who symbolically was carrying the sins of the people would somehow make his way back to the people. So that goat had to die with the sins of the people. So one goat was a burnt offering and the other goat was a sin offering. Does that make sense? Did y'all get that? And if you're like, if you're new to church, you're probably thinking, that's just weird. I mean, let's just be honest. I, for those of you who've been in church, you go, yeah, you know, I remember. I've heard this maybe, you know, since I was a child. I, I don't know if I went in quite as deep as what you just talked about, but I remember hearing this. But if you're like brand new, you're thinking, this is just really, it's, it's just weird. It's extreme. It's, it's kind of gross. I mean, let's just be honest. It really sounds kind of gross that a priest would go into a place called the Holy of Holies. He would slit the, the, the throat of the lamb, pour the blood. In fact, if you're a parent, you're probably thinking, man, I'm glad my kids aren't in here right now. I mean, how would I explain this when I get home? This sounds, this sounds hideous. In fact, you might be thinking if you're unchurched, who in the world would come up with something that's so grotesque? But here's what you have to understand. God is just. Now, you understand justice better than you think you do. God is just. And you understand justice too. If somebody broke into your house and they caught that person and they literally took stuff from you that could not be replaced and now they sold it, they destroyed it, it's gone, 
You would want justice, would you not? God's just. And because God is just, he has to punish sin. But he's also merciful. And so this is what he does. The sacrifice satisfies God's justice. And at the same time, it extends his mercy. A price had to be paid. But someone else pays the price for the forgiveness of sin. So God's holiness is satisfied. And yet he extends mercy to people like us. People, and I tell you this almost every week, that he's crazy about. He loves you so much. But that was a temporary offering under the Old Testament, under the Old Testament. And that was the problem. So it was a problem because the sacrifice was temporary and we sin continually. So God said, what I've got to do is I've got to send a better sacrifice. And so Hebrews 10, verse 10, it says this, and by that will, by his will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So like, really, no kidding, right now, don't you want to go, wow. Because I'm thinking if I were God, I would try to come up with another with something else, a different system. See, the problem was there was no one else that could satisfy a one-time payment because we sin. So God said, the only way that I can make this right is I have to go. Me, my son, will have to go. And so Jesus offered himself up to God as a single sacrifice for sin once for all. Jesus, the high priest, offered his life one time, shedding his innocent blood as a covering for our sins, satisfying the justice of God and extending the mercy to guilty sinners like us. Isaiah 61. Oh my goodness. And, and I wanted to do an illustration and honestly I was too cheap and I didn't and I'm, I'm going to say this for Easter. Because this verse, if you, can, if, you can, if you can ever understand this verse, if you can get the picture of this verse, it'll set you free. Isaiah 61 verse 10. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. For he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation. And he has draped me with his, it's his robe of righteousness. What? Yeah. That's almost like it's, it's too much to take in. Jesus, our high priest, sacrificed his life so that he could take his robe of righteousness and cover us 
with it. There's an incredible picture there for me is that when I go to God in prayer, how, how do I go to God in prayer? How do I go to him and expect anything in return? How do I expect God to listen to me, much less answer any of my prayers? You know, why, you know how I can do that? It's because I have been covered with his righteousness. And so when God looks at me, what he sees is the righteousness of his own son. But there's more to it than that. And honestly, let's just be honest. If that was it, it'd be enough, wouldn't it? I mean, if really, if, if, if the only part of salvation, if that was the only thing that Jesus did on the cross, you gotta admit, that's enough. Because one of the things that we all know is that we're all sinners, right? And we know that we sin continually. So if we had to go back to the Old Testament, man, we'd be in trouble, right? So every year we'd have to offer another sacrifice for the atonement of sin. Another goat would have to be released symbolically taking our sin away from us. But Jesus died one time, the perfect lamb of God who never sinned. And then when we accept him as our savior, he covers us with his robe of righteousness. And he's also a high priest who understands and cares. This is crazy. There's more? So there's, there's more? There's more to the gift. Yeah. Hebrews 4, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize, not sympathize, empathize. Empathy means, sympathy is when I look at you and you've gone through a difficult time and I go, wow, I really hurt for you. My heart breaks for you. Empathy is when I'm able to look at you and to say, I've experienced exactly what you're going through. You've lost a mom, you've lost a dad, you've lost a best friend. I can look at you and say, I understand because I've walked in your shoes. So understand what it says. Who is unable to emphasize with our weaknesses. So he was subject to all of our weaknesses, all of our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. So he was subject to all of our weaknesses and temptations. Hello, are y'all out there? Are y'all with me? Because you're like the real spiritual crowd. I mean, I know the 11 o'clock people. They're never going to get some of this stuff. But you guys, I mean, like, wow, you're awesome. For me, for way too long, even as a follower of Jesus, I could not boldly approach the throne of grace. I couldn't do that. I would always be intimidated. I would always be afraid because I would always have that sin in my life. And just so you know, I was always aware of my sin, probably just like you're aware of your sin, right? And so you go to God and you almost go cowering down. And now I understand that, wait a minute, no matter what I'm going through, the point is, is that he understands my sins, my hurt, my pain, everything. He gets it. Okay, so I want you to take off those church glasses just for a minute. Try to. It's hard. And I want you to think about the life of Jesus. Think about how he started. Jesus was conceived out of wedlock to a teenage girl. Hello. Y'all out there? I don't know if you really want to study just how young 
some scholars believe that she was, it will be offensive. We like to think that maybe she was 16. And 16 is young, and if you have a 16-year-old daughter you want, and you're, and you're a, a father, you want to step up right now and stick out your chest and say, not my daughter. I don't think so, Skippy. They're going to have to go through me. I was that guy. Scholars believe that she could have been as young as 13. How do you think that looked on his high priest resume? Okay, okay. You say, well, it's not him. Oh, really? You don't think that we look at where somebody comes from, do we not? Are we not judgmental in our culture? Don't we look from whence you've come? I mean, don't we look at your, at your background? Oh, you were born on the wrong side of the tracks, right? We take all of those things into consideration. And the Son of God, God as we preachers say, wrapped up in the flesh. Mama was a teenage girl who was not married. Hmm. He lived in poverty. He lived among the working class. He was criticized, ridiculed, bullied, and he was tempted by the devil again and again and again. And yet when he was at his weakest and most vulnerable, he did not sin. Jesus experienced the death of a close friend and he wept. He knows what it is to grieve. He was tried and found guilty for a crime that he did not commit. He was betrayed by his closest friends when he needed them the most. I'm just saying that he understands injustice and he understands what it means to be lonely. And, and during this holiday season, there's going to be a group of people who are going to experience lonely. And what I'm trying to communicate to you is that you can go to him. And Jesus, as your great high priest, will understand lonely at a level that maybe even you don't understand. I'm just saying that he relates to our trials. He sympathizes with our pain. If you feel stressed and overwhelmed this holiday season, then I just want you to understand that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus told his disciples, his closest friends, he said, if y'all can just stay awake with me and just stay awake with me and pray just for a little bit. And then he goes in and he falls down face first and he begins to pray and, and he prays with such intensity. There was so much stress and anxiety that literally the capillaries in his body burst. Have you ever experienced stress to that level? He has. If you face anxiety, I'm just telling you, he understands. And all that's bad. And that, that's bad. But you know what? Worst of all, he was abandoned by his own father while he, was hung, while he hung on the cross. Now, he wasn't, but he felt as though he was. He looks up to his father and he says, my God, my God, my father, my dad, where are you? In a time when, when I need you the most, where are you? He felt abandoned, even by his own father. He was not, but he felt that way. I'm just saying that you have a, 
a great high priest who sympathizes and he understands. And then Hebrews 4. I've already referred to it. But let me read verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. I think it's the King James Version who says we should approach the throne of grace with boldness. And every time I would read that, I would, get, I would cringe. But as I understand Jesus as my great high priest, it gives me confidence so that we may, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And we can approach God in prayer boldly with confidence because God's justice has been satisfied and his mercy and his grace has been extended to fallible sinners like us. Why? Because we don't come clothed in our righteousness because our righteousness would be nothing but filthy rags. Our righteousness would still be dark tainted by sin, but, but, here's the thing, here's the cool thing, what Jesus was able to do when we accept the payment that he made for us, when we believe and understand that he was not dead in a grave, but he was raised, he's alive and well. When we get that, when we understand that, when we accept that, when we ask for his forgiveness and we say, God, we need your mercy, then what God does is he takes the righteousness of Jesus and he wraps us in it. That's, come on. That's awesome. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. Maybe, just maybe, you're a follower of Jesus and you've lived a lot of your life like I lived a lot of my life. So overwhelmed with my own sin. Living with guilt is one thing. Living with shame is something altogether different. To go to God in prayer, to, to have a nitpick sin, right? You, you probably got yours, I hope. Well, I guess that's a bad thing to hope. I just don't want to be on the Titanic by myself. Are you with me? Hello. So y'all got sin, I got sin. But you know, you, you have that one particular sin or maybe a, a list of maybe two or three particular sins and you've, you've begged and you've pleaded with God to forgive you, right? But then you went right out and you did it all over again. Hello, are you with me? And so then you come to God again, maybe the next day, maybe the same day, maybe within an hour after you just prayed it the first time. And you said, God, I didn't mean to, but I slipped, I did it again. Can you please forgive me? And then, and then maybe you did good for a day or two, but then you slipped up and you did it again. Hello, are y'all with me? Are you tracking at all? And so then you're overwhelmed, not with guilt. You should feel guilt. We should feel conviction for our sin, but you are overwhelmed with who you are. And so you see yourself as nothing but a dirty, nasty, filthy sinner. As a follower of Jesus, you feel that way. And maybe what you've missed is the same thing that I missed for way too many years is that what Jesus, as my high priest, did, he satisfied God's need for justice. And one time paid the price for all my sin. Come on, that's got to set somebody free. He clothed me with his righteousness. And when my heavenly father looks at me, he doesn't see, he sees the blood of Jesus. He sees the sacrifice of Jesus. 
He sees the holiness of Jesus. Maybe it's taken you a very long time to get that. Or maybe you haven't got it yet. And if that's you, you're a follower of Jesus, and you would say, Scott, I just struggle. Now, somebody's going to say, yeah, but like, if you get that, so that we get like a free license to sin, no, sir. You have no earthly idea. Once you get that, once you understand that, the beauty of that, then holiness becomes a different thing for you. It's not about you anymore. It's about him. It's it's about living a life that's pleasing to him because you're so incredibly grateful and thankful for what he's done for you. Does that make sense? So if you're a follower of Jesus, you can say, man, you know what? I struggle. I just admit it. I struggle, and I just, I need to get it. I need to understand Jesus as my high praise. If that's you, slip up your hand. You don't have to, but if that's you, awesome. Can I just pray for you right now? Lord Jesus, there's a group of people who slipped up their hands that may be like me, God, understanding you as my great high priest, Lord, was so difficult for me to get the full concept. We don't have to offer a sacrifice once a year. We don't have to take innocent animals and slit their throats and offer their blood. We don't have to symbolically place our sins on on some goat and then take it out into the wilderness to a place that we know they're going to die. Lord Jesus, you did that for us. Wow. It's it's incredible. It's, you know, Lord, I've, I've said this a lot. It's almost too good to be true, but Lord, it has to be true because that's our only hope. Lord, when we say high priest, I think sometimes that becomes too religious for some of us. We got to understand that the depth of it and the meaning of it is life-changing. Help us to see you as you really are, but Lord, help us to see ourselves through your eyes. Maybe you're here this morning, you're, you're not a follower of Jesus, and maybe you've just kind of processed this, and you just went, wow, I didn't, I had no earthly idea that that's just the meaning of all, I didn't know. I thought it was Christmas and it's the baby in the manger. I had no earthly idea that, I didn't know where it went. I didn't know the sacrifice. I didn't really get that. But now it makes sense. And so how could I do anything other than fully surrender my life to a Savior who would do so much for me? So if you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to be, right there in your seat and maybe you'd pray a prayer or something like this just quietly, silently maybe you'd say Heavenly Father forgive me for all my sin and thank you for being my my great high priest in other words Jesus I want to thank you for dying in my place Thank you for paying the penalty for my sin. Thank you for taking my sin on you. Just so I can live. So forgive me. From this day forward, I just want to fully surrender my life to you. 
Fill me with your spirit, Lord, so I can spend the rest of my life just following you. And I acknowledge that from this day forward, my life is not my own. Lord, you are amazing. The price that you paid is, is too much to take in. We thought that they were just simple gifts, expensive gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We had no idea. So, Lord, we worship you. We adore you. Saying that we're, thank you, that we're thankful is not enough. Lord, I do pray that every day that you get more and more and more of me as I learn how to surrender more and more of my life to you. We love you. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.